the galaxy is burning. Brother fights brother, and treason splits the Imperium of Man. This is the Horus Heresy. Whether you're a warrior of the Legionis Astartes, an adherent of the Mechanicum, or a brave mortal in a galaxy of madness, you'll find a home here. Welcome to the Remembrancer's Retreat, coming to you from within the depths of the Vengeful Spirit. You know, so having been to Nova last year, but never been to an Adepticon and never been to an LBO, like it's, it's all, all the information I have is like secondhand, right? So I'd love to go to Adepticon. I think it's, it's probably one of the cons that I, if I have a chance, I will go to, you know what I mean? Um, but I do feel like this year's Nova has a, I don't want to call it a tournament, but the Excruciatus campaign or the excruciatus, uh, what would you call it? Like this, is it the Saturday event with 3000 points, like no restrictions, bring whatever you want. Uh, I think I agree with you. I think there's a lot of room for abuse in that one. I think the, the here's Nova. There was a bit of a disconnect. Uh, disconnect might be a too strong a word. There was a, there were two different lines of thought when it came to participants. You had people, um, me, Will, most of the 30K game and most of the participants brought lists that weren't bad, but they were not maximized. So we played to win, but we didn't bring the dick kicker lists. Yeah, and I, I think, know. you know, so that's a hard balance to figure out, though, um, Josh, because, like, Coming from our meta, like the Richmond 30K meta, right, Where, which is what you and Will were basically, that was your acid test, right? That was your litmus test. You guys were basing the fact that you didn't have a dick kicker list off of the other lists in our meta. But some dude who was like, I'm going to paint up this beautiful army, it's going to be gorgeous, salamanders, but like, I don't know the rules for assault vehicles, that dude probably thought your list was a dick kicker list. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, where's, where's the, what's the bar? So you're right. Def- defining the meta is always going to be a problem because what the internet says is the meta is not necessarily what you're like. Case in point, the Richmond 30K meta, I think, is probably can have for 30k because in the three years I was there I saw every army every Mechanicum build every Militia list Solar Auxilia Custodes if it had rules in 30k I saw it I didn't necessarily play against it but I saw it at other big games um, at like the, the D43 you know so every you know a great opportunity in Richmond 30K to see a lot of these lists, ask players questions, get feedback, which you don't get in other metas where you might only have like four players. Right. And because 30K being 30K, you know, those four players only have one, maybe two armies that you get to change about. So your meta judgment is a little. Yeah. It's, it's, it's always going to be a little skewed. And so I think for, um, you know, for conventions like Nova, which I, I believe have a reputation of being 
like the chill convention, right? Like you show up, you've got beautiful armies, and everyone's cool. We, uh, you know, we're a community. We hang out, and nobody's there to just, you know, crush balls and uh, and take names. But like, I feel like that's going to continue to be a challenge, and maybe even become more of a challenge uh, in the future, as as I believe. 30k and horse heresy grows and we bring in some folks from 40k who maybe don't like 8th edition but you know like maybe they were into 40k 7th edition and maybe they have that you know kind of power gamer mentality like I don't want to turn those people away I think there's a way to bring that into the community and and Nova in particular and just channel that but but make them understand that hey 30k is a different community man like there's some there's some expectations on having a fully painted army, right? There's some expectations on not being just a dick, right? Like sportsmanship matters. Yeah, I'm just I, I'm sort of talking to Josh about like the Nova experience, and and what I wanted to say is like. I think people at Nova, what makes Nova different is that people like Jason and, you know, the rest of the Richmond 30K crowd, like we will show up to a game at Nova and within the first turn, we'll be able to tell what the skill level of the player that we're playing against is. And I don't, this is not meant to sound like elitist or, you know, um, pejorative or anything, but when you're in a game with somebody that, you know, doesn't understand the rules to the level that you do has not brought an optimized list is not like trying to be, you know, a whack player and, and a dick kicker. And that's when you just dial down and you have a fucking good game and you drink a beer with the dude who's across the table from you and you roll some dice. Like it is not a competitive event, you know, yes, you're both playing to win, but it's like, you're not trying to, you know, raffle stomp the noob. <laughs> you know, yeah, no, I get it. Yeah. You're, you're not gonna. You, I mean, you may have brought the optimized list, but just don't use it in the most optimized way, right? Make exactly. make lax decisions. And again, it's not oh, yeah, like when, being like, I'm gonna give this guy a petty win or anything like that. It's like, I just I just want to chill out. I don't have to overthink this. I can just have a fun game where I can forget to do a movement phase, even and not worried about getting called out. Like I think it was at Nova we were talking about last week, where somebody got called out for moving, and uh, went right into shooting, and you know fumbled the whole tournament because of that. You know, wasn't that LVO? Oh, it was LVO, not Nova. Yeah, but uh, no, you're you're absolutely right. Just chill out if you're playing somebody sub optimized. Have fun. Talk oh, yeah. about the paint scheme. I'm sorry, Josh. Go ahead. The, the, the first game Austin and I played in the team tournament, um, we played a Space Wolves, Wolves and another Legion, I can't remember, player, and they were going to play a Loyalist, but they got stuck to the traitor side. This was, That was his first game of 30K. So, you know, Austin and I made some quote-unquote, you know, decisions uh, just to keep the game because, you know, he brought Militia, dug in with, you know, Medusas, and I brought Custodes against – you know, bog standard legion. Right. And I, and if I recall the guy's space wolf list was your generic new guys, 
legion list. Yeah. So it was like your your Primarch with Terminators or some yes. elite warrior squad in a Spartan, like, you know, all stuff that you see new people who are just getting in the hobby do, which is, yeah. you know, always fun to do. But if you're playing against a list like you and Austin had, you know, that's not the most optimized. But yeah, I mean, the guys said they had fun playing against you and you guys ultimately still came on top for best loyalist, you know, for the doubles. Yeah. You're recording this, right? What are you talking about, Jason? We're like, remember last time you asked if. Do you mean? Do you mean? Are you ruining the cold open right now by openly discussing the recording? You shut your horn mouth, Jason. A little bit. I'm worried about it. This is good. Damn it! Yes, Jason, we're recording. All right, I'll quit being mom for a while. God, yeah, absolutely. This is good cold open material. That's why I had David start talking again. But uh, yeah, Josh, I, I think you're absolutely right. And David, you just got to tone it down some, you know? Sometimes you just want to yes. play against, um, uh, I think his name is Damon Drescher. Dude makes oh, yeah, paints amazing playing. Emperor's Children players. And sometimes you just want to get a game with him as a, a half-ass excuse to talk about painting techniques from a Golden Demon winner for free. You know what I mean? Yeah. I had the, I had the pleasure of playing him. My first Nova, where I brought my proxy custodes and I kicked my ass. But you know his army's beautiful. He's a great guy, and it was it was worth it just to spend two hours just chatting with someone like him. You know, a great painter, just chatting about the hobby experience. Even though we yeah. knew five minutes into the yeah. game that there was no way I was going to win it. Yeah, uh, for those of you guys who haven't met uh, Damon yet, he's the guy who actually does the artwork for. The Nova opened like all their like Mark IV Space Marine dude and everything. David, I think yeah. you've seen it. He's the guy who does that work. He he painted that mural or picture or whatever. He's an actual like real life artist. He's won oh, golden whoa, demons really? and shit. Yeah, he's won golden demons and shit. And I just oh man, the guy's artwork is amazing. His Emperor's Children Army is gorgeous. What do you run against you, if I could ask? Um. Against me, uh, it was two years ago, and we were doing the weird kind of lopsided battle that Nova always loves doing. And it was, it was a great time. Brought a unit of sound marines or whatever they're called in 30K. Uh, the Concophony, I think, is what they're called. Yeah, yeah Concophony. Our, units of tactical marines, a contemptor, and I think a cheap headquarters. They, they were that year was a a small kind of escalation event where it was like five, seven fifty, and a thousand points. So it was kind of weird build rules. I brought my proxy Custodes Salamanders since Custodes didn't have rules at the point yet, at that point yet. Um, but I mean, let's think about it. When you brought those Salamanders uh, fire drakes, who knew that they would be uh, pretty close to uh, Custodes? I mean, just Custodes is, you know, fire drakes up to 11. Yeah, that is true. I mean, as I far as them. as far as a proxy unit goes, I think you picked a really good one. That yeah, that's kind of what I was going for. Um, how they were received that year? Again, being Nova, you know, you don't expect to get poo pooed with that kind of hobbying, but you know, it definitely could have been received worse than they were. So, well, yeah, that's uh, good stuff, man. And um, let's go ahead and get right into it, guys. Let's go right into the uh, what we've been up to then, right? Sounds good. <laughs> Yep. All right. So, uh, David, what you been up to this week, man? Yeah, man. So it's been busy, but uh, I've gotten a warlord. No, 
take that back. Scratch, edit, delete. I got a Warhound Titan in um, from the guy who does my Titans, uh, and it's it's awesome. It's my first Warhound Titan. Uh, I have two Reavers, but this is my first Warhound. Um, they're they're beautiful uh, models. They've been around for a while. Uh, it's super top heavy. Did know. you get the uh, Lucius or the Mars pattern? See, you're gonna. I don't know. I think it's. Oh, I my, think God. It's oh my God! I know. It's super ignorant right now. All right, is it got uh, hard edges or soft edges? It's got the. Uh, it doesn't have the big back like Austin's does, right? So gotcha. it's, it's yeah, it's and it's um a little. I think it's a little smaller than Austin's, and it's got that the leg vambris with the um, the scroll work on it and the eagle. Um, gotcha. Yeah, that's the Mars. The Mars has the uh, smooth carapace, whereas the Lucius has like the hard, sharp ninety degree yeah. carapace. Yeah. I prefer the Mars, but I know a lot of the, the classic players prefer the um, the Lucius. Just I don't know why it's not in print anymore. Um, so obviously, you know, Forge World thought that the Mars one was selling better. I guess right. I guess the Mars one has been around for a while. Right? It's, um, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not an expert on these things, but real quick, Josh, can I get you to uh, mute yourself when you're not talking? Just because we're getting um, feedback from you. Thank you, sir. Sweet. All good. Yeah, All right. that's a lot Well, very cool, man. I can't wait to see it. Jason, what do you oh, want to, my man? Jason. Oop, sorry. I do uh, wrestle a cat here. All right. So right now I am piecing together the next uh, four guys in my little uh, Weapon Master Veteran Squad for my Thousand Sons, and I am assembling a Land Raider to put them in. Oh, good times for me so far. Gross. Yeah. Is that the uh, uh, Phobos or uh, Proteus you're putting them in? That is a uh, Phobos, because I'm hoping uh, they can roll up something good on Biomancy. You know, everything in my uh, army is a Biomancer. They can roll up something decent like Iron Arm or Warp Speed and come tearing ass out of that Land Raider into something big and expensive. I'm looking forward to it. Can they cast um, buffs on themselves while they're embarked? I don't think so, but I don't think there's anything stopping them from piling out, casting a buff, and then tearing ass. Oh, Jesus, dude. Apparently I'm new at this because I completely forgot the second phase is after movement phase. It is. Yeah. <laughs> okay. No. Yeah, no, that yeah. works then. That totally works, Jason. You're right. Uh, awesome, dude. And I've been keeping up with the um, weapon veterans you're doing, and they are amazing. I just love the use of like all the different upgrade kits to make them so unique. Like I've seen White Scar's chest on them. I've seen Emperor's Children bits used, and some of the um, uh, what are, what are they called the the dual sword guys? That oh, you the get. Uh, yeah, the Kenatai. I've seen, you know, parts of the Kenatai on there, and it's just all looking great, man. You're using Ashen Circle stuff, too, aren't you, Jason? Oh, yeah, because I'm not entirely sure what that little A inside a circle on the Ashen Circle is supposed to be. Like, I guess it's like their own little personal symbol, but it looks pretty good. I'm using it on uh, all of my Weapon Master vets. 
And then my uh, marksman vets are going to have something different. But it looks pretty good to kind of tie the squad together. Yeah, absolutely. Josh, uh, for those of you who are, you know, listening for the first time or something, Josh is our, uh, he's one of our, um, I don't know, ambassadors. We send him out to uh, other places of the country every two or three years, uh, and he goes and starts new communities for us. So, Josh, uh, what you been up to, man? Well, I've been uh, working on some 40K stuff with the new Custodes Codex. Uh, I know heresy, but still usable in 30K, so still bonus yeah, there. Yeah, we allow for uh, 40K discussion on here, man. It's, they're two separate games. If you have fun with them, you can have fun with them, you know? So I really like the uh, new kits. They look pretty cool. Yeah, the new kits are nice, especially the new Wardens. They'll make for some uh, nice Hadron Guard that I've got planned. Uh, that's in the works, the planning phases, uh, stages there. Uh, I'm also working on some new upgrade kits. Auxilia, since I plan to take them to Nova right now this year. So they are, the process has begun for them. The, the long prep for Nova. Yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah, I'll definitely be getting some orders in the future. I think, like you said, they're going to make perfect header and guard the, um, Little cloaks on the on the on the legs, I think, and the big swooping aquilas on the heads just really sell it, you know. Oh yeah, some really really good models. Uh, easy to assemble. Instruction is really nice. Uh, a lot of good conversion material with the original Custodes kits as well, and just li- like you said, with the the new eagles on the helms and the little, will make them a nice little easily distinguished on the tabletop from the normal Custodes. Quick, easy identification on the table always being a nice just bonus. Yeah. Um, and like you said, man, um, like they are extremely compatible with the existing Custodes line, right? So what it also does is introduce five new, I guess, weapon poses. So you can use your regular Custodes, swap arms around and that kind of stuff, and you can have a very looking, unique Custodes army just because with different arm poses on different legs and that kind of stuff. So it's uh, pretty cool. I like it. I like it a lot. What about the um, Terminators? Are you getting any of the Terminators for 8th edition play? Yeah, I picked up uh, some of the new, I think they're called the Lars or Alaris Terminators. Um, not necessarily a fan of the design on those, but I kit-bashed some of them with some of the extra uh, Aqualon Terminators I got for 30k. And they turned out pretty nice. So kind of a unique kit bash there merge the aesthetics. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the legs on the Aqualon Terminators or is, is that what they're called? The 40 K ones, the 40 K legs. I don't like, I think they look too much like Primaris Marine legs. Um, but I could definitely see like the shoulders I feel are more in line. They look more cataphracty like, um, yeah, and then the helmets, but I'm I'm sure a good kit bash between the two would make for a really cool looking unit. Um, let's move on. Pat, what have you been up to? So I'm pretty sure I've gone Justarian crazy over here. I've got uh 15 Justarian that I've been working on painting up. Uh, working on my next set of five right now, and uh, they're all turning out pretty good. And then I also just on a whim painted this little servitor uh, to match kind of like what we were talking about in heresy grad school. 
uh, last week. What'd you name? Go ahead and tell everybody what you named him. I, I mean, do you want the full name? Yeah, give me the full name. Okay, he's uh, Servitor WI1S3N, or Wilson for short. Yeah, I love it. Wilson! Yeah, but I just don't know. I'm suddenly really liking Jesteran, even though it's essentially just black, red, and gold. Like, it's super simple to yeah. paint. It's but. a cool-looking paint scheme. Do you have decals for them? Um, so I do have the Sons of Forest decals, and so, like, the Cataphracty that I have, I'll probably put the decals on, but I also picked up uh, five regular Jesteran with the, um, like, the Forge World Jesteran, but they have the uh, Cataphracty power axe instead of the Jesteran power axe. And you and I were actually talking about it. I think these power axes look 100% better than the Jesteran ones. I do too. The chain power axe, it's like not only do the the teeth have power fields going through them, but they actually rip and tear and shred at the same time. You know, So they're, they're like double brutal than a regular power weapon, I think. And it's got like the size that I want a power axe to have. Whereas the Jesteran ones, I understand it's more you know, from their homeworld style, but it's still kind of, it It looks dinky. Yeah. Um, I know for those cataphracty chain axes, or power axes, I, on my black shields, I use those for their power axes. And it's nice, because the whole black shield army had chain axes, but then when you'd see those big ones, you'd be like, oh, those are fucking massive compared to the other chain axes, so... Those have got to be something special. And, yeah, power axes. Oh, yeah. And then I also, uh, courtesy of Dave, picked up a Primaris Medicaid. Very nice. That'll make that unit even better when you throw that with Horus, yeah. Oh, yeah, and I got the Horus. And so I'm I'm super excited to just, you know, roll that around. I know Jason and I need to get a, a big game in, and I'll play him and all the Just Aaron and things like that. It's going to be awesome. You need to tell us about it, then. Make sure you... Uh put together a little battle report for us oh yeah most definitely well as far as me um not really much my bits arrived and i made uh strike commander mon from the raven guard for my uh shattered legion uh which is nice because he can also work as a master of signals you know he's got the uh vox on his back and just a power sword and artificer armor so he looks pretty generic the way i made him um and yeah, I I think he looks great. He can also work as just a standard Raven Guard Centurion if I need him to, um, which is nice. But uh, I think he'd be a good little addition for the uh, Shattered Legion. And since in the fluff it says that he saved um, uh, Korax, but it doesn't say what happened to him after he succumbed to his wounds when he crashed his... Uh, is that it? Succumbed to his wounds? Had succumbed to his wounds? Succumb. Succumbed to his wounds. Uh, after he crashes Thunderhawk, you know, it doesn't say what happened to him. He doesn't say he dies. Uh, so it's kind of like Casterman Orth, where it leaves it open-ended for your narrative to pick up and tell the story about what happened. So, you know, I'm saying that uh, Shadrach sent one of his uh, Thunderhawks down, which routinely he did during post-Istavon to rescue survivors, and maybe he found Mon and brought him on board. Will, what what book is that? <clears throat> Uh, Mon or the the fluff of Mon can be found with him in the Red Book, but uh, really, yeah, 
all that all that backstory that you just described, like saving Korax and everything, is in the Horus Heresy Black Books or Red Book. Yep. Yeah, same thing with Casimir North. Like, a, usually, a lot of these characters will have little blurbs with them on like the side of the book and the red bar, and that's where the blurb is on um, Mon. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah, man, you got to read that fluff. You get some pretty cool stuff. That's how you find out about uh, Autech Moore and the fact that he leads the Red Talon. Is well, that's the name of his ship, and you know, it's assumed that the chapter of the Red Talons is derived from that. So. It's all there. Casterman Orth, you find out like the name of his um, his Sikarin, his black son, and you find out that he used to uh, pilot a uh, fell blade on the San- uh, what is it, Istvan Five? He piloted the fell blade until that got destroyed, and yeah, all this stuff. Dude, you're fucking blowing my mind right now. Uh, yeah, man, you got to do it. You got to read those. That's what <laughs> like, grad school's for. Like the like the the uh, the forty k. Uh, Space Marine chapter Red Talons is is the off like the offshoot of Casterman Orth. Not Kasterman. no no um Autech Moore. Yeah, you didn't know that. Fuck no, I did not make that mental. Leap, yeah, dude. yeah. His oh, ship's dude. name is the Red Talon, and what? their Legion icon or their uh, clan icon is a Red Talon. Dude, that's awesome. I know, right? I love when they connect those dots like that and you're like what no way mind blown like this whole time i've loved the red talons and now i know where they come from what and get super psyched for it i love it but uh all right well this is going to be a good episode guys we got some good stuff pat what do we got so we're talking custodes because because they're op and they're broken and uh, well yeah i can't beat them so i'm going to complain about it Lies! Heresy! What do we got? Don't worry, Josh, you'll get your time. And then we've got uh, Heresy Grad School Part 2 with uh, Jason and Dave, and we're all going to talk about it and have some fun. Awesome. And then uh, we'll wrap it up with plugs? Sounds good. Alright. Well, we'll be back after this short break, everybody. Hey, what's up, you guys? Uh, Will here. We're going to be talking about custodes. So Hate those guys. Jason, you yep. love custodes. Hands down, your favorite army. You've been playing them for years. Oh, wait. No, I'm thinking of Josh. I'm sorry, Jason. Uh, Josh, you love custodes, right, my man? And you literally have been playing them since before they even released. As we talked earlier, you were playing them back as... Using, you know, the Kabuki miniatures, uh, I think they were Kabuki, and you were playing them as, or you were using Salamander's rules for them. So you've been a long-time fan, right? Yes. And I've it, always loved the aesthetic, even before I haven't gotten to 40k and 30k, so. Yeah, I remember, gosh, this was like, as soon as Knight Errants came out, we held a game where we had some Knight Errants come in, and they had some custodians uh, come in to kind of guard them as they destroyed a warlord titan, right? Um, that was one of our narrative battles we set up. Yes, great, a great event. Yeah, super awesome. And the fact that we were playing custodes, more specifically, you were playing custodes, that was years before Talons of the Emperor was a thing, I feel. At least one year. 
yes. Uh, the event was probably two years before Infer- Infernal was released. And I know I brought my Count as Custodes to Nova 2016 for the Escalation event. Yeah. So it's bizarre when I see you catch flack for, like, bandwagoning. Because I'm like, how can Josh be considered a bandwagoner? When he's like that, like that's that's somebody who has like collected dark or blood angels or dark angels since before book six dropped, and all of a sudden, now that they're able to use them with rules, they get called out as a band hop wagoner. I don't, I've never got the term bandwagoner, right? Like just because they have rules, I can finally play them, but I've loved them forever. So don't get mad at me for playing the army that now finally has rules. Yeah, I mean the term has some applicability, but. I try not to judge the player without any background knowledge of how long they've been playing the army. It's the same like with Space Wolves in both 40k and 30k. Some people have been playing Space Wolves since Rogue Trader era, and they just love the army. It rules, and now everyone who plays Space Wolves is a bandwagon, regardless of if you've been having miniatures with Space Wolves iconography since the 1980s. Damn that. Yeah, it's so bizarre, right? God, or like how many people have loved Thousand Suns throughout the ages and now finally have like 10,000 points of Thousand Suns that they can actually play and are called bandwagoners. I just hate that term, right? Um, yeah, just got to know when to apply it. Yeah, but we are here to not talk about bandwagoning. We're talking about people who love custodes, play custodes, and end up having to get like a bad rap for it. So Jason's got some points for us to discuss to like get down more accurate to this. So Jason, what are your points you want to hit on during this conversation? Well, uh, seeing as how we have Josh, he's our uh, you know resident custodies expert here tonight, and Will, I know you got a ton of experience with him too. Uh, there are three things I want to touch on. First off, I want to discuss what did Forge World get right. The first thing people get caught out with is the amount of salt and the hate that get tossed at custodies the second they set foot online. So I want to start off on a good note. Like, what is right? What feels exactly like it should? And the fluff and the rules, what's going on well there? Now, point two, I'll admit, I think Inferno has, as a whole, it has a couple issues with it. It has some typos. It has a few wonky rules interactions no one can agree on. I mean, it is... uh, it's something of a habit for Forge World, but uh, we I want to talk about one specific to custodies. Like, what are a couple of things that could have been done a little bit better? And lastly, um, we were talking about a possible hotfix. Uh, I don't think, if something needs to be done for custodies, I don't think grand sweeping gestures of giving them a penalty on the points they can take or just... Uh, Xing down entire units is a good idea. But on part three, we'll discuss a uh, small hotfix that I think could go a long way towards uh, evening out some of the harsher points of custodies without making them unfun to play for uh, either the person that wants to put them on the table or the person across from that person on the table. All right, so let's go with the first point then, my man. Let's bring this up. Go ahead. All right. Um, first of all, I think Forge World nailed the fluff for Custodes really well. Their unit entries, their the parts they take in the battle for Prospero, 
you you nail that feeling that these are the emperor's bodyguards and they are to a space marine what a space marine is to a guardman where you you, you get that feeling that they are the ultimate badasses right of the escorts of the emperor um, with the rules for the most part i'd say probably 85 to 90% of the rules just the the army wide rules of your an elite army so that you know even when i played 2500 points at nova or the average game back in richmond less than 25 models on a more on average between 17 to 22 um, so you get that feeling that you know no matter what the point level your army will be small elite can take punches just as effectively so i think forge world nailed that overall feeling of the army that when you put that on the table your glorious golden dudes are a small elite strike force there on the emperor's mission to do work in the universe and i think david's brought this up before where these armies are balanced within themselves within like their own self-contained book um and i think against space wolves who you know can all take artificer armor and uh AP2 weapons or against, you know, the Thousand Suns with their psychic abilities and that kind of stuff. I think they fight well against those armies. And I think those armies can do some pretty good damage against them. I know, what is it, Space Wolves can take all power weapons in a single squad with combat shields and that kind of stuff. So, and what, like, even if you kill them, they'll still get extra attacks. So it feels like they can handle themselves better against Custodes, I feel like, in their own self-contained books. Yeah, I do agree. the The armies within Inferno do seemed amongst themselves at a minimum. Yeah, um, there's some war gear I feel like they did really well on. The uh, Adrathic destructor weapons are really unique. You know, they're Volkite, but up to eleven. That stuff is really cool. Uh, there's some unique war gear like their spears. Um, I mean, you figure a custodian spear is going to be better than a power lance and it feels, you know, it operates on the same premise as a power lance, but it just, you know, it works that much better because it is a custodian weapon. Um, there, yeah. So I think, you know, they did pretty good with like, uh, range weapons for the most part. I don't know. The D3 las cannon shots from the bikes is a bit much, I think, but you know. We can talk more about that kind of stuff in the rules. I would agree with Josh. The fluff really nails it. Introducing a new paint scheme or, you know, making it be like, hey, there are other schemes than just gold was also cool. But, uh, Jason, what do you think? What, what do you think they got right? So, for me, I absolutely love what jo- exactly what Josh was talking about. These guys feel like they're a tiny elite strike force that is there on the express orders of the emperor to get in, do something because dad said so, and get out. And it is awesome to see uh, exactly like a scene out of one of the black library novels to have, you know, just a smaller unit of five or six custodies mulch their way through line Astartes, uh, because there have been plenty of scenes in the Black Library books of just Astartes trying to dogpile individual custodians to, ha- to bring them down. Because individually, 
um, Marine is never going to be a match for uh, one of these custodies. But uh, I think it was actually Argyll Tal or um, one of the word bearers in a short story where they were talking about what the custodies will never have is that unit formation. They weren't uh, constructed to be like these brother warriors like the Astartes were to work in units. Each one is a fantastic warrior on his own who is better than even like a space marine commander, but they're never going to have that same squad cohesion that a pack of Astartes does. And I think Forge World was on top of that perfectly, uh, even in how some of the rules work, because there are not a lot of rules for custodies that overlap or support one another. Uh, it's more or less impossible for them to get a feel-no-pain, for instance, because they don't have easy access to, like, squad medics. And um, their entire deal with uh, the solidality of how they can split up to three inches apart which 90% of the time is going to be a good thing, you know, to help them avoid giant blast weapons and the like. But it can also cause some problems in close combat if you get a bunch of them spread out and you get into assault on one end of a chain of them and not all of them can get close enough to fight in a combat. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's happened to me, you know. Um, to see you're 100% agree. Yep. And, uh, yeah, man, they really do just feel elite. Small force. They're easy to handle if you dogpile them, I think. Um, and like you said, they don't act like a unit in Master Mankind. When, um, uh, what is it, the High Lords of Terra, when they go to battle, um, you know, it talks about how they're moving like a pack of lions and not like, you know, a cohesive unit of, of or not unit, but like a cohesive, um, wolf pack or anything like that. They're just like lions out on the prowl, you know? Just killing and maiming. Alright, so, what do we have for our next point then, Jason? So, the next thing I want to talk about are, what are a few things that have that could have been done better? Without throwing a whole bunch of hate at it, because that just turns everyone off instantly. But what are some things, rules-wise, equipment-wise, uh, mechanics-wise, that could be kind of pulled together that could use a look at in, in a recent or a upcoming FAQ or whatnot? First off, for me, first and foremost, I would say specialist weapons. the Or not specialist weapons, two-handed weapons. I think the spears do need to be two-handed weapons. That way you can't have a paragon spear with a shield, for example, right? Or anytime you have a shield with a spear, you're not going to be able to use the shield or the spear because it's a two-handed weapon. I think that would have been a good fix right off the bat. I think they need to put mesocordii in there, and we need to find out just what that little dagger does. Does it count as a specialist weapon? If, you know... Um, all the spears are specialist weapon. Does a Mesercordia account as a specialist weapon to where they can get an extra attack on the charge for having two close combat weapons? We don't know, because that rule's not in there. Yeah, I'll definitely agree on the Mesercordia one. The the whole, that gaping rules has caused quite a few conundrums for custodious players and their opponents. Um, I'll also agree with Will 
on the the guardian spears. All the spear variants should happens, uh, so you can't get the uh, the bonuses for builds. Um, probably the most glaring is uh, Valdor. I think he should be about 300, 310 points. Um, just his survivability. Yeah. Uh, his spear with its I kill everything, no matter if it's a vehicle or an infantry and a four plus. Um, it's a great, really fluffy ability for the Emperor's you know, chief you know, bodyguard and executioner. 175 points. He is pretty much at 2,500 point games. He is an auto-include for me because he is just the ultimate dealing with Lords of War, Primarchs, characters, mulching infantry. So a difficult choice or to balance him a little more. I think three, 300, 310 points would solve a lot of the problems when it comes to the Valdor complaints. Yeah, or like I think some people recommend Lord of War. Um, maybe. I could see that, sure. But bump his points up then if he's going to be a Lord of War. Um or if he's going to stay at 275, keep put him in the Lord of War slot, I guess, is what I'm saying. Um, and then uh, also, 3-plus re-rollable. Uh, that's always the go-to complaint, I think, right? And that's easy. Just um, we, we can talk about that further uh, later on as, a, as our hotfix goes on. But really, the 3-plus re-rollable means you have a 1.66 chance to succeed. Or what is it? Uh, it's actually equal to a 1.66 save is what it's equal to. I mean, you, you never die when you have that 3-plus uh, re-rollable. It's, ins- it's insane to have that. Um, either get, you know, a 5-plus re-rollable, which I get on the Guardians. It's, it's similar to a feel-no-pain, basically, but you can always take it, even if you're being ID'd. Um, but a 3-plus re-rollable is just too much, I think. Uh, especially for the price, I think he ends up being like two ninety if you go that route. Um, but yeah, what else? Um, I would say Telamon could use some work. Agreed. I think the Telamon's a little underpointed as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. Considering yeah. they gave him a plus one on plus everything one. over the um, over the uh, Leviathan. Leviathan. Yeah, but um, Telamon. You leave him alone. He's trying his best. Yeah, but he needs to be a couple points more than just, you know, what is he, 300 base? Yeah, 300 base. So the normal kit out's like 310, 320 or something with the weapon change out. Yeah. Uh, not cool considering what you get for it. Like all the stuff it comes with, plus it's got an additional one over a Telamon and or uh, over, <laughs> over Leviathan, but he can't be put in a transport like the Leviathan can. Um,. But he's got longer range than a Leviathan, though. Yeah, that's true. But he's, like, counterproductive. If he stops to shoot and he can fire a Scapulous Bolter twice, um, then he's not using his melee weapon. Or you can go the whole melee or the whole range route, which I've considered. But, you know, that's... That crosses a line that shouldn't be crossed. Well, I I think it's fine because you lack a lot of potent range abilities, but... Again, it's just 
too cheap, and then you're not utilizing all his other abilities. You're not utilizing his strength or his D6 strength 9 impact hits if you have him all shooting, you know? True. I guess that's why I always put one arm, a gun, and one arm of a... Yeah. Um, Because, man, those strength 9 impact hits, I've destroyed vehicles with just that. Just going in and blapping them. You know, and then that's before I even hit him with the claw. Um, but yeah, so Jason, what what are some other things that you think they they might have messed up on? Oh, the 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 jet bike spears. The jet bike spears aren't there at all. Right. That was the first thing I wanted to talk about. I thought that was the weirdest thing ever. That for some reason the jet bike riders are equipped with stock power lances instead of custodian spears. Which, I mean, the power lances are markedly worse than a custodian spear in every conceivable scenario. Yeah, and you never want to charge with them then, right? What's the point? Because they have an awesome range weapon and a terrible mm-hmm. melee weapon. Do you think they made up for the fact that they have a terrible melee weapon with the awesome range? Yeah, I mean, they definitely want them to be gunboats. But I think it's weird that they would even have just a regular power lance in there. And not some crazy custodian lance. Right. Would a custodian even know what a power lance is? Uh, it'd probably be like custode's first spear, like baby's first. Be spear. like what they trained with. Yeah. Like a safety spear. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, when young kids look at older pieces of computer equipment, like what's a floppy disk? But uh, yeah, so that's weird, right? The uh, power lance thing. Plus the fact that the jet bikes all can split fire is pretty ridiculous. That's a little bit odd. I think it's, I mean, it's awesome. It's great. Don't get me wrong. I love having three bikes, each with D3 LAS cannon shots that can all independently target different units. Uh, just, you know, putting suppressive fire down on transports to keep them off the table. Hoping, you know, hoping for those luxy, luck, lucky explodes. But what else? What else is something else that uh, really stands out? Oh, Price, thing, I think. A lot of people, like a standard... I'm sorry, Jason, go ahead. You got something. Now, the thing that gets to me um, that I thought was a little odd is the Spear Dreadnought, the uh, Achilles. So it has that odd rule that seems to be worded as if you roll a single six to hit, all of your attacks count as D-weapon attacks. Yeah, that's the wording, right? It, words are really weird where yeah. it says a, a roll of a six means that it is resolved at, or the attacks are resolved at D strength. So it's like when you hit, you just need one six and then all of your attacks are D. I don't think that's what was intended, but that's the wording we got. It sounds scary. like a primary killer. Oh, sorry, Jason. But it seems like a really cool rule in theory. I mean, it's super flavorful. It's awesome. It's exactly what the Dreadnought could have to make it like unique and something to pay attention to. But that single weird, I'm going to say typo in the wording, uh, it kind of jacks it up for Custodes players, because instead of a uh, cool dreadnought that you get to put on the table with a fluffy, sweet rule, now that's always the thing that gets picked out is like, oh, that's the spear thing with the crazy D weapon, right? I'm shooting that first. And that's got to get old here after a while. I mean, mine never survived turn one. People knew that it was D strength, and they just targeted it. And immediately either immobilize it or blow it up. Same here. 
But it's it's definitely good distraction carnifex I get. Plus the fact that it's got three close combat weapons. So I think what was it seven attacks on the charge? People argue yeah, seven against attacks it. On the charge. People argue against that, but it's like it's in the rules, bud. You don't have to argue with me about it. You need to argue with Forge World about it. They're the ones who wrote these rules, who wrote wrote Age of Darkness, and this says as it is. I'm getting seven attacks on the charge. Sorry, not sorry, uh, but this thing only has, you know, to make a 36 inch movement to get that. So you know, if I if I can move 36 inches unmolested and still charge you, what's going on? <laughs> Other person's fault by that point. It has to be, and right? When people blow up my Maragall turn one, it's like, ha, now you've got a fancy dreadnought that you don't get to use. Yeah. Well, it's happened too where my Telemon gets nuked turn one, and I'm like, no! <laughs> See, I, I think... Well, there's 300 points that I'll never get back. See, I, I think a lot of Custodus, at least with regards to the rules, ambiguities can be solved with a fat, uh, with a fact or clarification from Forge World. But I don't think that gets to everyone's distinct hate and calls for cheese against Custodes as a whole. Because that, I mean, as we all know, we love Forge World, but their ability to write cohesive rules sometimes can be lacking. Just, yeah. it seems, well, why learn to be a better player when you can just bitch about the other guy's army? Well, you know. Boom. But, I mean, you know, great book, a lot of good armies, but it, you know, a little bit of rushed to you know because you're pandering to three different major sects of the hobby that want to see their army. So I can understand why there were some leaks through the cracks, but again, I don't think that gets to of most people's issues with Custodes when they declare, "Oh my God, you're broken." Um, I think that goes back to the Valdor Tribune debate. Well, I mean, for yeah, instance. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Will. Uh, no, no, go ahead, Pat. Well, look at uh, LVO this year. Look at the winning uh, the winning army. I mean, they ran a Veldor and wasn't a shield captain or a tribune? Yeah, it's a tribune combo, yep. Yeah, and like, he, Will, I think even you said, like in comments we had, like, that it was a little, you know. It was definitely a, a competitive list, that's for sure. And to be fair, though, that was a competitive event. You know, um, but you'd, you'd never want to take that on like a, hey, man, uh, I'm going to be down at, you know, Battlegrounds this evening. Who wants to join me kind of event? No, you'd never, ever take that there unless you hate having friends, I think. But if you're there to win and bring home a goblet, then, yeah, you probably want to run that because it wins. And if you love custodes and you have the models, I don't know. That's a whole nother discussion we can get into about being all whack and everything. But um, yeah, that's a that's a completely different line of thought. Yeah, we're trying to stick with narrative-driven. So another thing I don't like about the Custodes, here we go, is the fact that you see them everywhere, which makes you think that they were everywhere during the heresy, and they were not. And I think there should be limitations on theaters they can fight in. Like, we have historical wargaming, right? Bolt action, um, flames of war. And those have limitations as early, late, or mid-war, right? So you can only take units then. And I think Custodes need a specific rule for that. Like, they can be at early war, which is Prospero, in theaters of Prospero, or they can be late war, which is Siege of Terra, and that is it. That's what I've been saying. So, so Will, you do not think they were at Cygnus? You do not think they're going to be in any of the uh, the new books? Well, I, I guess the new book is... By the time they got out of the webway, they were reduced to only a thousand custodians. 
they had lost 9,000 of the 10,000 in the webway. And I don't think those 1,000 were sent anywhere far from Terra. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And, and actually, when, I, when we finally get to, you know, the Emperor of Mankind, the Siege of Terra, um, I'd like to see a talents list that auto-includes um, the Sisters of Silence. Like, you cannot run just a Custos list. You yeah. must yeah. include si- the Sisters. Yeah, I agree. I would also like to see that. That that would be a nice fix for me, um, which I think Nova does that where they say, like, um, if you're taking Sister or if you're taking Custodes, you have to have a one-to-one ratio, which is nice. So I'm agree with you about 50% of the way, Will, that, again, being a big fan of Custodes, I don't want to see a part of my army, uh, one of my favorite armies not allowed at Heresy, events that are non-prosper siege terra i think that they should be allowed but as allies or you can bring a single custodian squad whatever your army is be it, you know solar auxilia legion mechanicum you know they were there watching before the whole shindig went down and now they're just there fighting with you so something that, like um the knight errants then right Yes, like a knight errant, basically, where instead of a knight errant, you bring, you know, a five to ten man squad of custodians. I'd be oh, yeah. I'd be more than okay with that, because then I could play any of my other armies, but still be able to use my favorite units, which are custodians. And even if they're not my whole army, I can still, you know, and still play with that kind of unit. So, um, so gosh... You're you're saying even more restrictive than current rules, which would allow you to use them as agents of the emperor, or yeah, agents of the emperor as allies. One HQ, um, two troops, you know, one of each. You would you would want to see something even more restrictive than that. So I think in an ideal world, self regulation from custodius players would solve all these problems, but you're not going to get that because people are people. I get the whole gambit of I will play to the narrative because I'm not an ass or I am that person where I'm a whack and I'm going to bring the Valdor Tribune combo and just punch tri- uh, punch Primarchs to death because I'm that guy. Um, I think another uh, uh, point as well, or the distinction to make is between, and this will be touched on later, um, is the point between restricting custodians for play purposes or narrative purposes. I think there are two different halves of the hobby. Yes. So like for events like Nova, Adepticon, big events, the Talons of the Emperor list, Custodia Sisters, 100% allowed in their entirety because those are big events and everyone wants to play their army. For narrative events, uh, the ones that Richmond runs every few months, for that, as a Custodia player who loved the army, if you guys put out narrative rules that says, hey, no Custodes army, but you can bring an allied detachment of Custodes, or, hey, we don't want someone showing up with Valdora Tribune because, you know, narrative reasons were out, you know, far in the Galactic East, you can bring them, but bring only a single squad. I think with that, it's up to the event organizers working with the prime Custodes players on a way to balance how you include people who love Custodes, like myself, but at the same time, keep the quote-unquote historical narrative of uh, the Horus Heresy, where, as Will stated, Custodias for like five years were just no-shows at every event on the galaxy. Punching demons in the webway. Mm-hmm. But 
again, you want to balance that, you know, I've got an awesome custodis army and I want to play it, you know, non webway battles. So how do I include that player who loves custodis without completely just shunning his army? Right. And typically what we've done in recent events is um, the custodians will be the ones leading the rest of the force. So it'll be, you know, everybody will bring 2,500 points, but the custode guy gets to play as the general because he would be leading any other elements uh, during these mega battles. So he's the one calling the shots, setting the rules of engagement, all that stuff, which, you know, you would imagine like all these line battle captains would give over authority to a tribune who was sent there by the emperor to go secure uh, singularity, you know? So there are narrative ways to work them in. And as you said, Josh, you just got to talk to the players. If you're running these narrative events, talk to the players, work with them, know the fluff behind it. Be like, how can we do make this happen? What kind of restrictions can we do? Um, yeah, there are ways to put them into narrative events and have fun with them. Um, but Jason is now going to hit on ways that we can fix them for competitive play. Because narrative, it's easy. You talk to the players. You tell them, hey, we need you to self-regulate. We need you to kind of run this sort of list to fit the narrative. Can you do that? Yes, no. Let's work and compromise on something. But when it comes to the competitive nature of players for competitive events, that, like, for example, Nova is going to have a competitive event this year. I think it's going to be like their first like tournament-style thing. So I'm expecting to see some custodes lists that are pretty whack. Um, but Jason, let's talk about possible solutions. All right, so first things first. Uh, in my experience as a player, I have never owned a Custodes model. I've only ever played against them, and uh, mostly against either you or Josh. And I have yet to have a bad game. Uh, actually, uh, Will, that game we played a while back with uh, Centurion, which you think would be pretty much where uh, Custodes would just stomp their way to victory uh, with Custi or, uh, Centurion rules. Uh, that was one of the most fun games I've ever played. Uh, your Custodes against my uh, Ordo Reductor Mechanicum with that whole bunch of Thalax. Yeah, it was a super cyborg army versus super golden man army. It was awesome. Exactly. And I feel like Thalax catch a lot of flack. Uh, for being uh, kind of lackluster compared to Castellax and other big stompy robots. But I feel like if we can get in a fun game with Thalax, which are reportedly subpar compared to Custodes, which are reportedly, you know, just the greatest, most powerful thing ever, I feel like there's there's got to be hope. So one thing, like Josh was uh, talking about, self-regulation among any player is, or any group of players is going to be a huge deciding factor. So one thing I kind of thought of looking through, uh, touching back on things that maybe could be polished a little better. I always thought it was really odd in Talons of the Emperor, how, uh, sisters of silence were limited, uh, just three units. If you took a single, uh, sisters of silent, a sister of silent HQ. And, that seems like the exact sort of rule that should be applied to the custodies. Yeah, right? How is that not a custodes rule as well? I mean, you think it should be, because custodies have always been 
deployed outside of the Webway War, of course, in these tiny elite little strike forces, uh, which seemed to be almost perfectly represented by that same, like, up to three unit per one HQ rule. So this is something I wanted to think about and discuss with everyone, um, because if there is a limit on custodies units or uh, comparatively like custodies HQs, I think are the thing that tend to throw people for a loop. Um, a limit on the custodian HQ seems like it would pull so much of those commonly held problems like, back to something more manageable. So just completely theoretical here. Josh, if you opened your rule book tomorrow and somehow magically you come across uh, at the top of the custodian HQ unit listing, there's suddenly a zero to one at the top of that listing for a Tribune that you'd never seen before. What would your thoughts be on that? I honestly don't know. Um, give, I mean, if it was what it was written as, that I, of course, would still run that because custodians. But I guess I wouldn't see it as the downside, given what I know what the Army can do, especially when you upgrade a full Tribune. So let's be clear, though, right? Jason, you're not saying a 0 to 1 for just the Tribune. You're saying a 0 to 1 for all Custode HQs, right? Yeah, because think about how rare Custodians are supposed to be outside. Like, Which makes good sense, and I like it. But here's yeah. the counter-argument, is that there is only one HQ. So That's that means... Valdor. What's that? Uh, outside of Valdor. Yeah, there's only that single HQ option for them. Right. But I could understand them doing a 0 to 1 if they introduced another HQ type, which would be, say, a Vexilla bearer for the army, right? So like how 40K has their Vexilla bearers are their own independent characters, right? So he's got nothing but the Vexilla custodian armor, and then he can take like a special Paragon spear or something like that. But he's never you're never gonna see that guy with like digital lasers, uh cyber familiar, three up re-rollable, and that kind of stuff. But that what that would then do is allow you to take six custode units in total. So you could run a, a large custodes force and have like other HQ options. I I think that would be another solution or an expansion on your current solution, which I'm already in love with, by the way. Having yeah. a zero to one for the tribune. And then that allows you to take three units, but then expanding it to where you wouldn't then have to take sisters. If you don't want to paint sisters or don't want to buy sisters or whatever, you know, you could then have a Vexilla bearer who's not going to be some big OP buff strong dude that's going to deck Primarchs in the face. He's just going to be a slight buff to the army, you know, or the unit he joins, I should say. So to play devil's advocate here, um, to take a Tribune, the, to, to purchase the 25-point upgrade a tribune you can only do that once for an entire army in the talons of in, in the entire talons list and it can only be done at the 2000 point level so for nova at my team player you know with with my militia list partner i could never run a tribune because the army list was capped at 1500 points right but you could run valdor right and here's the thing, if they moved Valdor to a Lord of War slot, then you wouldn't have been able to take Valdor. Um, 
and I'm okay with this. If you leave Valdor at 275 points and make him a Lord of War, I am okay with this because you could still run a very well-kitted shield captain at a 1,500-point list. He just is not a Tribune with Eternal Warrior. I think that's where a lot of the problems I kept hearing, like, over and over and over again. I tried to go back and kind of uh, take a consensus of what some of the most common problems were across a bunch of Facebook groups, forums, and whatnot. And what a lot of the problems seem to stem from is when you have Valdor and the um, three-plus re-rollable, I colloquially refer to him as the Turtle Tribune, in the same army. And that's kind of my thought pattern behind the uh, limitation on the HQ, is you could either have Valdor who is super aggressive, super killy. Uh, he can make your entire army very aggressive with teleport transponders. Uh, but he himself is not super, super sturdy so far as custodians go. Uh, compare that to, like, the Turtle Tribune, who is a lot slower. Uh, if he wants a transport, he doesn't really have access to a practical assault transport, unless you want to go for that big, crazy uh, golden gunship in your Lord of War slot. And uh, it's a lot easier when the entire Custodes army cannot teleport into your face. So I thought that would be a really good kind of middle ground. You could either have slightly slower, super defensive Turtle Tribune, or you can have super aggressive, super fighty, but less sturdy Valdor. Yeah, and I love that concept. And uh, I think that's a good workaround, at least for the interim. I'm I'm not opposed to that idea. Um, I think in the long run, the way to solve it would be to make Valdor a Lord of War. Because in that way, like all Primarchs, basically give run a Primarch's chosen list, where if you want to take you know Valdor as your head as your mandatory headquarters, and then do that, you're basically building a Valdor-based list because he's been sent there by the Emperor to lead this charge him your lord of war so instead of taking the orion or an allied knight or something else you're taking valdor and then that way but then do you make scoria for the mechanicum a lord of war because he's just as lethal as valdor i'd say yeah yeah yes i'd be okay with that if it if it can stand up against a, a primarch for more than three rounds of combat, it should be a Lord of War. 100% agreed. So basic, so Scaria, Valdor... No problem. Those kind of characters that are built with hilly character weapons, good saves, good stat lines. I mean, Valdor is probably up there in the Tier 2, low Tier 1 of Primarchs, just like Scaria is be headquarters they should both be lords of war just as all the primarchs are but you give those lists the ability to run the equivalent to a primarch's chosen but in that way no. just chosen you're building to bring your primarch so that is the core of your list now i'm not too i'm not um incredibly intimately familiar with salamanders um but can't their like shield or the shield captain the um, their dragon shield wielding Praetor just can't he tank some primarchs? Like mathematically, he just doesn't care how hard you're hitting him because he's never going to die. Steven, I think your mic is hitting the um, shirt or something like that. We're getting some squeak from you. How about now? 
Yeah, you're good. But, uh, I mean, I'm sure he can. If he's in Cataphracta you're talking about? A three-up? I don't even know if he has to be in Cataphracta. I think the the ubiquitous Salamander uh, Turtle is just two-up armor with that crazy Storm Shield, which just gives... Yeah, I don't think he is in Cataphracta for that. Yeah, it gives but, him the three up. Uh, I'm sure the, he does, but we're talking about like base characters, I think, is the point that Josh is trying to make. Like the you have to kit that guy to specifically be that way, I believe. Whereas Valdor and Scory just come bog standard, ready to kick ass. Yeah, I mean you can do the same again, look at the Tribune for the Custodis. You can build the Turtle Tribune to be the ultimate tank. Um, but you've built him to do that. He's two hundred and seventy five plus points. Of I sit here and you bang on my shield all day and I laugh. Probably two ninety, honestly. 290, honestly. Uh, mine's two seventy five, but I don't take a power fist for reasons. Uh. Um, but yes, as Will said, base characters like Sigismund, um, you know, Iolod, take a character out of the book, and if they can go toe to toe with Primarchs, just flat, you know, I've taken this character for more than two or three rounds and can competitively win against most Primarchs, they should be a Lord of War like Primarchs. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And uh, I, I guess I want to ask the question to the group is like, we've gone more than a year, uh, almost two years now that we're in February uh, 2018 without a Red Book update. Do you guys think we're going to get a Red Book update this year, or do you think we're going to have to wait for Malevolence to come out, see what they bring, um, to uh, to get any updates to these uh, these army lists? Well, what was it before? It was like three years, wasn't it? I think the previous we had to wait three years from the first iteration of Red Books. Yeah, even discounting the fact that we've lost, um, you know, Alan Bly, I think it's. It's going to be long after malevolence before we get. Yeah, I think we'll, we'll probably got to wait at least another year. Yeah, so so given that, I, I think uh, I think you know the fact that custodies only have one special character, which is kind of a bummer. I'd really like to see them have more. Um, I really hope they get more. I hope the Sisters of Silence get more. Um, definitely want to see you know Amandira Kendall get her own rules. Uh, you know, I don't think limiting it to zero to one HQ would be the way to fix it long term, uh, because hopefully we get more special characters. Hopefully, Forge World, you know, gives us some of those favorite characters from the fluff. Um, I, I'm leaning towards this uh, this Valdor as Lords of War option. I think uh, I think at least as a house rule, I think that's pretty cool. And yeah, self-regulate too, right? Yeah, I think I, I disagree with it being a house rule as a just kind of on a general principle. Um, and I was talking to Josh about it one time, um, especially when it came out that uh, some events were, I guess, limiting the number of points that custodian players could bring. Um, and I remember when I first started playing, uh, I think it was sixth edition that introduced AP values for power weapons. Uh, a lot of people were complaining, and at the time I didn't understand it. Um, a, a lot of people were complaining that it was just a patch to make Space Marines stronger uh, because Space Marines couldn't deal with power weapons that just went right through their armor. Um, and the point being there, I, I don't agree with house ruling armies down to quote-unquote manageable levels just because you can't beat them. Just get better. Yeah, it's... it's get good. 
Yeah, yeah. for lack of a better term, it's it's get good. Um, and if you're playing with someone who can't self-regulate, like, obviously we're playing this game to have fun. So if your opponent, if, if you know somebody that you play regularly, and they're coming at you, and their custodians are just crushing you every single time, and, you know, and they can see that you're not really having fun with it, but they're still doing it, stop playing that person. Yeah, it's okay to just not... It's okay to say no, guys. No means yeah, no. Um, so, I'm going to bring some historical wargaming into this context here. Second edition Flames of War, many, many years ago. When the Waffen-SS and the Airborne Armies added to the meta, they were designed with taken at, if the standard army was 1,500 points, you would get 1,250 um, to play as the SS or the Airborne. But that was part of the army design at the time, and therefore it was published in the rules that you knew if I was going to play a Waffen-SS unit or an American Airborne unit, access to a limited point value because they were just that much better. Now, if they'd done that for Custodis and they put in the rule book like, hey, for every 1,000 points, you get 900. If that was in the rule book, black and white, okay. If, it, if that's what it takes for me to field Custodis, I'm okay with that because obviously that's the design choice they went with is points restriction. Arbitrarily limiting any army, any army, Mechanicum, Solar Auxilium, Militia, Legion, Custodis, any army just flat out saying you get less points because you know three people, X number of people can't handle your ability to play that army is bullshit. I agree. Christian Channel, sir. Christian Channel. Yeah, yeah Josh. No, I, I mean, I totally – we're probably not there yet. I mean, I'll, you know, a year, another year of Adepticon, year, like, we, first of all, we haven't even gotten results. We haven't even seen what the army list that people are going to bring to Adepticon and the results of that, uh, you know, convention uh, are yet. And Adepticon is the big American um, Horace Heresy event, really. Um, so we haven't even seen that. And then probably give it another year. And there's there's already precedent for Forge World – uh, you know, increasing points on some of these units. So, like in another year, maybe we get a red book that increases the points on uh, custodies or increases the points on the Tribune. And I think that would be a, if at that point in time, you know, that's what it looked like it needed, that would be a legitimate fix. But until then, yeah, let's fucking let people play, man. Let people play their army. Let people play their list that they waited for, you know, six years to play. Yeah, and if your army that you continually, if you bring the same army and keep getting by doing the same, keep fighting custodians the same way and you keep getting beat, change your tactics, bring different units, deploy a different way, use a different right of war, do literally anything except arbitrarily say custodians need X. 100% agree. Well, there you go, guys. That's uh, the Remembrances Retreats, Opinions on Custodes. Um quick uh, roundup of everything is they messed up some rules, they got some fluff right, you need to self-regulate, and don't be a jerk. Amen. Yeah. Alright, uh, we'll be back with uh, Heresy Grad School with Jason. So stay tuned. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do
We are back. All right. We got heresy grad school for you. So sit back, relax, grab a brandy, and listen to the smooth, soft tones of Jason. All right, guys. How's it going? So this week on heresy grad school, we're getting into the second half of the Zhao Arcade Forge world. So if you want to check this out in the red book, or a black book in this case, it is page 173 of Inferno. So, last time we talked about how the Zhao Arcad Forge World first got started on a uh, crazy jungle planet with dinosaur-sized arthropods. how they uh, buried into the crust of that planet, took over some moons, grew into a fully functioning Forge World, and are ready to uh, venture out into the galaxy. But... They started to lose faith. They did. It's never a good, uh, never a good way to go for uh, servants of the Omnissiah or of the Emperor or even uh, Horus, for that matter. So it's this division in faith that starts to cause problems. Last time we talked about the disaster trying to get to this mineral-rich planet nearby called Nitos. That didn't go so hot. Stuff blew up. The uh, former Supreme Domini of the world is probably floating around out there in space now. Right. It, Tom Hanks and Castaway. We, we discussed that. Exactly. That, that Wilson! Magos, that Magos would be played by Tom Hanks. So, back on Zhao. Uh, stuff's going down. So, some of these servile classes, the uh, you know dudes hanging out on the moon, working in the forge veins on the planet, they... They do not know about this uh, bad omen of the expedition forced to Nitos blowing up. However, down on the Forge Fanes themselves, it's causing this crisis of faith. They've always been a little divisive. And the problem is exacerbated by the two biggest Forge Fanes. Uh, one, Imanari, and the second is Kiari. They're both kind of uh, in this teacher's pet mode where they're vying for each other to achieve the supreme favor of the Archdomini of the world. And Imanari is the first to experiment uh, in a very interesting new way. So all the other Forge Fanes are, you know, producing weapons, making themselves useful in the defense of their world. And some of them, mainly Kiari, figures out, hey, we've got all this Xenos technology just laying around from uh, all of these Xenos raids on our outlying uh, servile planets, and let's try experimenting with it. So they start into that. And, of course, Imanari, not to be outdone, uh, while everybody else is experimenting with the Xenos tech, they decide, well, they have Xenos technology. What have we got here? We got like this weird psychic phenomena starting to crop up in some of our laborers. So uh, they check with the uh, Supreme Domini and they start uh, trying to reproduce this psychic phenomena in like a scientific way. Any scientist will tell you reproducibility is everything in research. But, right. uh, and if it's a mutation, it should be easy to duplicate, right? I mean, just the way 
we know about how evolution works, we could just, you know, keep breeding the mutated ones until we get exactly the results we want. I'm assuming that's what happened and everything worked out okay. Yeah, everything worked out daisies. Um, unfortunately, however, uh, warp stuff will not be constrained by the bounds of the scientific method. Wait, so, so you're telling me that it didn't work out daisies? It is... It did not. Um, at least not daisies. Some crazy other stuff came up, but uh, we'll get into that. It weren't daisies. Are we so, sure they aren't daisies? Pretty sure. The warp is not big on flowers of any type. I was told by a certain Primarch that psychic mutations are 100% beneficial to everyone all the time. Well, there's a reason Lorgar is where he is with a huge gap in his resume. I was referring to Magnus. You didn't have to be that way. Damn. Oof, a low blow. Ah, Magnus is a toolbox, too. But, so, uh, they can't actually reliably reproduce these psychic phenomena in people. So, they do uh, not the next best thing, but obviously the better solution is to move on to trying to augment their automata with uh, different psychic potential. So they actually figure out how to replicate the neural networks of some of these psychic mortals, and they use those as well as a harvested cortical material to augment uh, some of their patterns of automata. And it says they almost immediately show increased responsiveness to almost precognitive levels in response time to threats. And... It was impressive because they were immediately deployed against these Xenos raids, and each colony that had access to these new um, augmented automata were showing lower damage, and they were showing uh, much fewer casualties, many fewer casualties, uh, to the workers in these Xenos raids because these automata were doing so much better. Now, uh, what I thought was pretty interesting is obviously the Mechanicum set down long, long ago that true AI is absolutely forbidden. But every Majos from then has gone to doing their best to try and coast as close to that prescription as they can without outright, you know, jumping over that line. Well, that's one of the reasons the isolation of Zhao Arkad kind of tends to lead them more towards the heretical side. They don't really have a deciding rule of anybody besides the Supreme Domini. So they will happily jump over that line and implant wacky psychic stuff into their automata just to, you know, see what can happen. They're not held by those same prescriptions uh, from the mainland Mars Mechanica. Yeah, Jason, and this was this was like they'd been separated from Mars for like I don't know. I mean, I feel like over a thousand years, maybe more. This was before the Fifteenth Legion made contact. These guys were under constant Xenos raid as well as just the struggle for daily survival. So, I mean, they were literally doing anything they could to ensure their um, continued survival on Zhao uh, Arkad. Oh, yeah. At this point, we're talking about 3,000 years. Yeah. Uh, they give the actual date as 827M27. So that's almost... Wow, yeah. 
That's more than yeah. 2,000 years from when they were discovered by the Thousand Suns in M30. Yeah, I love that. I love the fact that they just took, like, psychers. Like, I, I feel like, you know, it's just, it's just like a brutal process, man. There's no, like, delicate finesse to this. They just, like, ripped out their, like, spinal column and their and their cranium, and they just shoved it into some Castellax or Thalax and was like, let's see if this works. And it was, like, automatically better. And it worked out terrifically. It's the most mechanicum thing ever. They had no idea how to get it in humans, so they yanked the useful parts out of the humans, put it into a robot, and now it works spectacularly. Okay, so hold on. Okay, the Castellex. <laughs> Uh, I thought they were already powered like by gorilla brains and that kind of stuff, right? Not direct gorilla brains. They're bioplastic replicas of brains. Okay. So it never specifically sp- states that it is not human, I guess, right? Because that was going to be my next thing. Is what, what was the control? Did they ever have Castellex with human brains that didn't have psychic powers that... You know, that was their control versus the brains that did have psychic powers. I mean, if they're scientists, what was their control? They should have had one, right? I mean, as far as it goes over the years, the Mechanicum are terrible scientists. Yeah, scientists, quote-unquote. That's true. I mean, they're not really scientists, but they just create things, I guess, and replicate STCs. So. Yeah, the Emperor is a scientist. The Mechanicum are, eh. Not as much. Gotcha. They scan shit okay. and they copy it. Gotcha. All right. Well, I guess they wouldn't have left the records of their... Uh, control scan anyways maybe who knows hoping for too much so what's also fascinating is moving on a little bit these two biggest forge fanes the Iminari and the Kiari are actually they end up being pretty close allies instead of kind of uh, it's a uh, healthy competition as opposed to like a vicious and aggressive competition so the Iminari have Forge Fane has almost perfected these new augmented automata. And of course, the Kiari want to keep up with them. One of the pretty fascinating things they do, and they barely touch on it, but they mention the Kiari are working on black iron hybrid cores that are to be tested in Legio Zest Biacs. So it actually sounds like they've taken some of this, like, Psyker augmentation technology and they're testing it in a Titan core. Oh, is this like giving birth to um, the concept of, uh, uh, what is the uh, side Titan? Yeah, is it like giving birth to that, or is it kind of parallel? I think it's kind of parallel, because it is Ordo Sinister that uh, finally wipes out most of Zhao Arcad during the burning of Prospero. Oh, damn, really? Yeah. Whoa, okay. <laughs> a little spoiler for a little yeah, down the road. God here. damn. Yeah, talk about just... your chickens coming home to roost. <laughs> Mine blown right there, yeah. though. Hey, the thing you guys tried to do, we did it better. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, this is what you tried to do. This is it. Oh, and the Emperor still wants about a hundred more of these. All right, let's continue, Jason. That was uh, pretty intense. So, what's interesting is. This, uh, these two forge fanes have far outstripped pretty much any of the others. So, uh, the Imanari and the Kiari get along terrifically. 
but it's the other smaller forge fanes. Uh, they're actually called, there's a big bunch of them that are referred to as purist forge fanes. They refuse to use this new psychic technology. They refuse to use Zeno's technology. And they're getting furious because the Chiari and the Imanari are outstripping them, and they've, they're showing just this blatant disregard for the purity of the forge world and the purity that is the technology that comes out of this forge world. So they actually start sort of a smear campaign against forge fanes that use this Xenos technology. And the thing that kicks off, uh, it's almost a cold civil war called the Chiari Wars that lasts about 30 years. Uh, it starts from the forge domini of Chiari uh, consuming this radiation-contaminated nutrient shot. And it kills him in about six hours or so. So this has to be pretty potent if it's killing a Forge Archmagos. Um, so by this time, uh, it was w pretty well known that most of these nutrient shots come from a Forge that's uh, called a Nutrophane, which is kind of like an, uh, an industrialized Forge fane for the production of crops and food for, well, not necessarily crops, but food for the rest of the forge world instead of technology, uh, called Niar. And it's a very well-known, uh, one of those purest forge chains that refuse Xenos technology of any kind. So by the time the forge domini of Chiari dies uh, in six hours, Chiari, Iminari, and a lot of their smaller allies have already, like, mobilized. The problem is Chiari is kind of crippled by their lack of uh, leadership in this, and as a whole, it's said that there are a lot less open battlefield engagements and a lot more raids, skirmishes, border disputes, like these small passive-aggressive sort of engagements that maintain sort of plausible deniability. Uh, one big problem, though, is a lot of the very small forges that aren't purists, that are allied with Chiari or Iminari, they're kind of ganged up on and pounced by these larger purist forges and just completely subsumed. Uh, what's kind of entertaining, though, is the supreme domini of the planet almost immediately retreats to uh, her orbital station to command and uh, condemn the violence going on on the planet below there. Uh, pretty much sending down calls for uh, abeyance, ceasefires and whatnot that go more or less unanswered and ignored for a good 30 years or so. And it's a little bit of an anticlimax here. The war itself kind of peters out after three decades or so uh, between pressure from Xenos raids and a bunch of revolts from the working class. Uh, but even though it's only a cold war comparatively with a lot less open battlefield engagements, uh, more than 80% of the forges on the planet sustained damage. 50% uh, of those were reduced to minimal operational capacity, and 20% were, like, completely wiped out. And by this point, Chiari is all but destroyed in pretty much everything in name. But uh, in, and then Imanari is more or less just a shell of what it used to be. Um, so, so it's not like this was uh, a battle, or I guess a war, that ultimately was good for everybody i guess everybody took a hit then right oh yeah because what i'm saying it's not like one of those cleansing wars where you got to reduce the population or the, like the the competition so the the top dogs can then continue to thrive even further it wasn't one of those good save. so even the purest forge fans they really just have a pyrrhic victory on their hands because even they've taken a huge amount of casualties 
comparatively, they took even more so than Imanari and Kiari. And when they finally get together and meet with the Supreme Domini to try and figure out what to do, of course, the purest Forge fans want to punish uh, those that use Xenos and Psyker technology, while like Kiari and Imanari only want to call for a little armistice because they want to go back to toiling away in their laboratories making psychic robots. So the Supreme Domini can't decide. So she decrees, which hilariously, this makes the problem so much worse, every Forge Fane will have no contact with any other Forge Fane, and all of their research will remain independent and unjudged except by her office. They even go so far as to collapse transportation and commerce tunnels between Forge Fanes, and if you'll remember, these are all underground, so it's not like you can just, you know, take the bypass and still get there. And the ones that do remain are patrolled and policed by forces only loyal to the Supreme Domini herself. And this is pretty much at the end of the Chiari Wars here, is where the Thousand Suns find them in M30. So the Supreme Domini pretty much has complete control over the planet. All of the different Forge Fanes have no idea what's going on in the others. Right. Did this question, um, did this lead to, like, I guess the equivalent of corporate espionage where people were like, well, now I really got to know what the hell my competitors are doing? Or, I guess, supply theft and that kind of stuff. I mean, you said you made it worse, or she made it worse. Was there any evidence of that other than, like, I mean, we all know just by listening to this, it's a bad idea. But is there any evidence in the story of that? Oh, definitely. Getting farther in, you figure out that some of the Forge Fanes have uh, gone a separate way that might have been a little frowned on. Had, oh, even uh, worse than, like, the cyber... Oh, all right, let, me, let, let you continue. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. It's not good business. So, um, she, the Supreme Domini has complete control after these wars, and... Uh, it's just her forces patrolling between every open avenue still, and all the defenses of the planets and the colonies are only answerable to her. Uh, the one positive thing during all of these wacky conflicts in the Kiari Wars, they actually managed, uh, the Servile classes managed to make a colony on that planet, Nitos, during the conflicts, because, like, nobody's paying attention to them at the moment. And, uh... This is actually where they find their first contact with the Imperium is by a little dinky mining fleet uh, that are still super suspicious of all of these uh, Xenos raiders. And they run into a command from a captain of the Fifth Fellowship. Uh, his name is Itzel Apophis. And it's kind of interesting because Apophis is the Egyptian god of chaos who is supposed to directly oppose Mot, the god of light. and I'm sure you guys all know by now, Hathor Mott of the Thousand Suns is absolutely my favorite because he's the head biomancer. So I kind of thought it was interesting that the uh, Apophis of the Thousand Suns is the one that shows up to find, find Zhao Arkad in the first place. But so far as this goes, it's pretty uh, works out well for Zhao Arkad because the Thousand Suns are pretty open-minded as far as, you know, wacky new technology and... Uh, new ideas go, you know? So if a less, uh, we'll call them like a less enlightened legion, like the iron hands or something. Fuck showing you. Up, Fuck yeah. you. <laughs> I 
I mean, they may have just wiped out Zhao Arkad entirely. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we never have magic robots. Yeah, but, I mean, the Thousand Sons are um, students. You would never have magic robots. You're the only one that uses them. Yeah. Uh, Got a couple. But, uh, yeah, you're right. They're a a learned um, legion. They're definitely open-minded. They're always trying to explore. So, perfect legion to find a bunch of weirdos, I guess. Absolutely. Weirdos with magic robots. And even after uh, the Legion comes through, uh, quote-unquote, liberates Zhao Arkad, uh, they still maintain a really strong, uh, but kind of under-the-radar contact with them. Uh, Just like any other planet in the Imperial uh, kind of umbrella, they have to pay material tithes, and they also gave up a little portion of uh, the Legio Zestabiax to uh, work into the Crusade at large, and a few... um, tithed regiments made up from their uh, servile planets. and uh, But what's interesting is a small garrison of the Thousand Suns stay behind on Zhao Arkad, but the Supreme Domini actually sends her second-in-command, uh, Forge Domini Tacticus Proctor. Uh, he's actually the acting Forge Domini of the Iminari, the uh, Forge chain that produces psychic robots, uh, he actually heads with the Thousand Sons to set up shop on Prospero and continue his psychic robot research there. This is Jason. Yeah. This is so important, man, because I don't want to. I don't want to um, like overshadow this or underplay this because the fact that they survive the battle, the initial engagement on Prospero, is because they basically emulate all of their research back on Zaurkad. So. The fact that they set up underground research facilities, underground uh, fanes, and everything else allows them to survive. So, like, the part of Zao Arkad uh, that goes with the Thousand Suns back to Prospero, because they're in two totally different segmentums, right? Mm-hmm. So, Segmentum Tempestus, and then they go all the way back to Segmentum Ultimus um, to Prospero, which is, like, light years away. Um, to set up this this research facility that's super off the radar, super like underground, um, really has major implications when it comes to the censure of Prospero. So what they, I mean, it sounds like they brought their culture of living underground with them, and the Thousand Sons were cool with that. Then, I mean, why wouldn't they be? They brought psychic robots along. I too. guess, sure. Yeah, that's a roommate I wouldn't mind having. Yeah. Um, that is interesting. So let me ask you then, is it ever said that the psychic robots uh, got their Egyptian style of armor plating before or after they met the Thousand Suns? So they do mention a little farther in uh, on one of those sweet color panels uh, from a Castellax that they display both the uh, hieroglyphics of the Thousand Suns along with their... Um, mechanicum you know little uh markings and so it looks like there's a big like sort of mix and match like the jawar cod automata definitely adopt a lot of styling cues from the thousand suns and the thousand suns definitely uh you know pick up a lot of cues like dave just mentioned from jawar cod itself so i think it's kind of a 50 50 like exchange Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Just a little like uh, 
I, I just wonder if they had like a designer team coming and be like, oh, "We got to make these Casalacs shine. We got to make we got to make people know that they, you know they're these are specific to us. How do we do it? Let's get some fancy artists in here to rendition up some fancy armor for them. You know, Kopeshes and giant headdresses. Yeah, that's um, it, right? We need more, darling. We need more, more feathers, more beetles. So back on Jawarkad. Um, so, skip forward a little bit, and unfortunately, while Prospero's burning, uh, Zhao Arkad is basically annihilated. Uh, officially, in the Imperial records, it shows that, uh, they were censured, and there's, there's a big red mark in their little personnel file, and they're currently waiting on a fleet of Mechanicum and Inquisitors that never actually end up showing up. But, uh, shortly after the Supreme Archidomini, uh, declared independence from the Imperium when the heresy kicked off, she was deposed and killed, and this left all the little, uh, forge fanes on the planet just happily toiling away in isolation because they have no idea what's going on. Uh, however, they do start figuring out that, hey, some of these, uh, things the Archidomini was holding down and policing are open now. So they immediately start being dicks. Uh, they start seizing control of shipping facilities. They steal navigators from each other. Uh, some of them completely jettison themselves from the planet. They actually end up working like little mercenaries, uh, hiring themselves out for materiel to uh, whoever wants to pay them for it. Uh, and what's interesting, it mentions specifically a lot of them end up... Uh, allied with factions loyal to Horus, but specifically the biggest section ends up with the Death Guard, which I thought was pretty apropos, considering they're halfway to being robots already. Yeah, right? Those personalities. Jesus, they're so fucking dry. Mm-hmm. You do not want to have them at a dinner party. Exactly. And uh, Dave, they actually answer a question you had from last time about uh, are all of the uh, Forge Fanes still subterranean? Uh, they never, and the answer is yes, because they never actually clear out all of the big, crazy uh, arthropods and the wacky jungles. Uh, it mentions the Jawarkad itself, even when rediscovered during the scouring, it's still staunchly lethal to humans from all of the giant macro predators and the oxygen super rich environment. So, pretty much everything is still just subterranean. And it also mentions they have a pretty low population density on the Forge Fane and on the planet itself, because most of the Servile class live on those lunar colonies. But uh, towards the end there, uh, each of those Forge Fanes were super specific for each of the Domini, kind of catering after their research. Uh, you just had a very small percentage of them dedicated to production of things for everyone, like power, those little nutrient shots, water, things like that. And... Uh, the story about Nitos with the little colony there, it's actually a little sad because they set up, they're doing well, they make themselves this little mining fleet to strip all the asteroids around them, which they do, and then they recommission that mining fleet as a little explorer cop, like a little colony fleet. And they're about to go explore other stuff when the Thousand Suns come in and quote-unquote liberate them, so they never, uh, never get that opportunity to see what else is out there. 
And then, of course, they've got that brief little period of expansion and prosperity working for the Imperium. And then just a couple years later, the Space Wolves come in and just shit on everything for everybody. So it was the Space Wolves who were also sent to destroy them. Uh, yeah, it's sad stuff. Uh, mm. Between them and, uh, let's see, originally, after an orbital bombardment, then you've got a... Wait, they, so did, did Space... Wait, back up. It was an yes. orbital bombardment they started on the planet? Yep, it gets... Uh, so did they not orbit. know that they were completely underground and that wouldn't work? Well, that is a problem uh, because the Legio Mortis, still loyal at the time, drops Titans in who are immediately ambushed by a surprise automata from underground. We're on, we're on Prospero now. We are towards the burning of Prospera. We are on Prospera. We have left Zaurkad. We have left... No, I think he's saying that oh, yeah, this, is, this is uh, Zaurkad that's getting no. s- destroyed right now. Negative. So, did the Space Wolves not destroy Zaurkad? Zaurkad was, was never destroyed. Not annihilated entirely, no. Okay, see, that's what I was asking, Jason, was... Oh, when did you send the, gotcha. Did they send the Space Wolves to destroy Zaurkad? Okay, I got gotcha. you. No, you're talking about the planet of Zaurkad. You're yes. talking about yes, yeah, the no, planet. No. Yeah, there we go. We're sorted now. Okay, so the planet was never attacked. Them. No, no right. the planet was reunited with the with the Imperium, man. No, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Is during oh. during the censure though? What happened to the planet? Who was sent there to so, destroy the planet to punish them for they, going they, against they, the they Imperium? They never got there. Yeah. Okay. What I was saying at first, they're marked for censure, but they never really got there. Ah. And a lot of the Forge Fanes that were like crazy isolationists by now were jettisoning themselves out to be hired out as mercenaries or uh, okay. still toying so away. So who killed the head Magos of the planet then? It never mentions it. It just says she was deposed and killed after declaring oh. independence from the Imperium. So we can only assume, I guess, then some loyalists still on the planet? Mm-hmm. Interesting stuff. Well, I think we're going to have to stop it there for this week, and uh, we can pick back up. And, um, yeah, what is, what's going to be next week, then? We're going to start getting into, uh, it seems like we're touching on what's actually happening on Prospero now, right? Yeah, next week we'll pick it back up. We've got a little bit left on the Chiari Forge, and then we will get into their uh, homegrown Titan Legion, uh, the Legio Zestabiax. Very cool stuff, man. Again, another great session. Thank you very much for that. Always glad to. All right, we're going to be back with the wrap-up. So, Or I guess not the wrap-up. Plugs, that's what we call it. The wrap-up is what the I of Horus call it. We'll, we'll be back with plugs. All right, guys, we are back. We got plugs going on. Here is our plug anthem, and we talk about plugs. Plugs. David, what do you got to plug, my man? Yeah, man, so uh, I did get a beautifully painted Legio Invicta Warhound Titan Mars pattern. Thank you, Will. Um, And it was painted up by a good friend of mine, uh, Tom Markham. And if you want a fully painted, beautiful 
uh, Titan of any sort. Uh, he goes all the way up to Warlords. You can find him at Markham Painting Studio at yahoo.co.uk, www.markhampaintingstudio.com. Uh, hit him up on Facebook. He is uh, he's a good he's a good guy. He'll uh, he'll do anything you want. And the banners that I have for Legio and Victor were custom designed uh, based on the um, artwork and and uh, ideas out of Dan Abnett's Titanicus. So Ooh. can't rec- recommend him enough. He's awesome. Can we get pictures of it and the banners on the page? Absolutely. Cool. Cool. So you'll be able to find pictures of those on the. Uh Remembrances Retreat Facebook page here shortly this week. Um, Jason, do you have anything to plug? Uh, I guess just Cats and uh, Coke Zero both contribute yeah. to my uh, longevity and my uh, painting acumen. Cool. Uh, do you have like a blog or anything like that people can find you on? Oh, absolutely not. Just check out the RVA 30K one that we keep updated regularly. Yep, that is richmond30k.com. Um, Jason's got some posts on there. That's good stuff. Josh, you have anything to plug? Actually, I do. Um, being a military guy who deploys in TDY a lot and, you know, hobbying time is precious. So I can do a lot of assembling and building and converting, but my own paint skills and time to paint is life. And so a lot of my 30K armies have been painted by a, a friend of mine out in Colorado. I was first stationed there. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Brian Lloyd. Uh, he's done my Custodes, my Solar Auxilia. He's done great work. Um, you can find him using the Googles. Uh, Dragon Coin Art. Again, Brian Lloyd. Links, just send it my way and I can send you more information. But he does uh, great work. Uh, for not just 30K, but 40K, Infinity, Flames of War, all that kind of stuff. Awesome. Um, we'll go ahead and get that uh, email, or not email, but the uh, webpage from you again, and you'll be able to find that on the Remembrance Retreat Facebook page. Thank you very much, Josh. And uh, thank you for coming to this episode. We really appreciate it, and we love to have you back. Oh, no problem. You can uh, you know where to find me. I'd, I'm more than happy to sit and chat about more than just Custodes. Oh, yeah. I also another oddball army of Solar Auxilia. Because yeah, I was going to say, we'll definitely bring you back when we talk about Solar Auxilia. Because Marines, too mainstream. Yeah, too, they, they're too popular. Stephen, uh, what do you got to plug, my man? I've actually got um, uh, three things to plug. Uh, yeah. So the first thing is I was talking to the boys earlier. Um, I don't know what y'all use for varnish. Uh, I know that some people like um, Rustolian brands like Will. Um, but if you're ever in a Games Workshop store or your local game store and you're like, hmm, I need some varnish, you can do worse than the Citadel Munitrum varnish that they've released not too long ago. Um, for 20 bucks a can, it's a little expensive, but it goes on just about as smooth as any other varnish I've ever used, which is pretty cool. Um, I was varnishing outside today, and it uh, was kind of humid and wet. Uh, but I couldn't even tell. Like the uh, the varnish went on as a nice, good, clear coat. So um, I bought it on a whim just because I needed to varnish some stuff, and it ended up being a lot better than I expected it to be. So yay, varnish! Um, and uh, is that better than the purity seal? Oh yeah, 
Yeah, it's way better. Oh, than so it's like a different recipe entirely. Then very cool. Um, I don't know if it's a better re- if it's, it's a different recipe or what, but it has not missed it yet. It's glorious. All right, what, what else you got to plug in? Uh, the second thing is, of course, the uh, Richmond 30K website, which is richmond30k.com. Uh, that's the blog we update with stuff. Not only can you find episodes of podcasts there, but you can find our blog stuff uh, where we paint, we talk about cats and Coke Zero. It's a good time. You also have a, uh article coming together for us that is how to magnetize a Bane Blade to include all that's its variants. That's right. If any of you ever uh, are looking to buy a Bane Blade, as you know, it makes about nine different tanks. Uh, I will be putting up a guide very soon as to how to magnetize it. Spoiler alert, there's almost no magnets involved. And the third and That's final like thing... That's like 90% gravity. It is. It is. Um, let me tell you a little something about gravity. It works. It's the law. It is. Alright, what's the third thing you had to plug then? Uh, the third thing is less of a plug and more of a uh, sorry I left you all hanging with the trivia question. Um, the look at it this way: I gave you more time to figure out the answer. So, so what is? Yeah, as, uh, yeah. Let's get what is the answer after you you yeah, dicked us previous, around for a week. Yeah, uh, more than a week. Damn, like three, almost a month. God a month. damn. Yeah, I'm the worst lore master. Anyway. So the question that I originally posed for the first of the Remembrancers Retreat trivia is, during the, or at the time of the subjugation of the Lair, the Emperor's Children flagship, Pride of the Emperor, was how old? And the answer to that can be found in Fulgrim, and the answer is 130 years. Uh, Laid down at Mars 130 years prior to the Lair conquest. So relatively a uh, young ship, I guess, huh? Yeah, all things considered, uh, considering that some battleships, like the spoiler classes, are thousands of years old, uh, the Emperor, or the Pride of the Emperor is a relatively new Gloriana-class battleship. So, are, like, the older ships haunted, like you'd imagine old houses to be? Absolutely. Good, this is groundbreaking lore. Very good. If it's, if it's not the demons that are clawing to get inside, it is definitely the thousands and thousands of slave serfs who have died in the bowels of the ship, never knowing sunlight or the touch of Earth. Yeah, what a life. Hey, Steven, for that trivia question, did we... Say that again, Dave? Did, did we... I thought we opened that up for the, uh, the Facebook, social media audience. Did we, did we have anybody who came back with a correct answer on that? No, no one came back to it. Um, I do, on, the, on our Facebook page, I do... Um, kind of smaller, easier trivia questions, but for the Remembrances Retreat, I wanted to do one that is like, you really kind of have to dig to find the answer. So then, for the next Remembrancers Retreat trivia question, the prize has been doubled. That's right. You will get twice the renown <laughs> you previously get. Uh, so, considering that the renown for this one was one, uh, you get two. Wow, two attaboys. Jesus Christ. Yeah. What a yeah, it's... dude, and it's just gonna keep doubling. So then you'll get four attaboys and then eight attaboys. Oh my yeah. god. And and once you get up to enough attaboys, of course, you can exchange them for pats on the backs, high five, handshakes, respectful <laughs> head nods, all kinds of stuff. Um, I cannot wait. Really, I, I cannot wait yeah. to see your conversion chart for this currency. Yeah. The um the economics of attaboys are volatile things, but uh, 
there's some stability to be found sometimes. Yeah, and like my father always used to say, it only takes one fuck up to get rid of all your attaboys. So if you get the answer wrong, you lose all your attaboys. Um, but before I get too far into the, the inner workings of Attaboys, I will pose uh, the question that I will answer uh, on the next regular episode of Remembrance Retreat. Uh, this answer yep. can be found in Master of Mankind, in the first chapter. Executed for the crime of stealing water, what Terran noble had her son taken by the 10,000? Ooh, good one. Good one. All right. You'll be able to find that question asked on the Remembrances Retreat page, and you can answer it there for uh, double the attaboys of last week's. That's all Uh, I got. Also, well, uh, I want to plug this for Steven, and that is Battlefleet Heresy is kicking off, and uh, it is like a steamroller that is just slow and destructive on people's wallets it's it comes at you and uh there's no stopping it so if you're into Battlefleet heresy uh check out the richmond 30k page where steven has put together some rules along with the help of austin or i don't know if it's the other way around it's a little bit of both yeah um but they are converting over battlefleet gothic into a full-scale crusade era uh type of fleet game so check it out or don't. You're an adult. You can do what you want. Sure, you're not my dad. Uh, so for me, uh, you can find me at Lancaster Painting. Uh, I've been a little inactive recently, just uh, with things going on. Uh, but I did do Mon, so I think you can see a picture of him there. I'm not sure. I'm painting some nights up for Jesse still. Um, but uh, those are like halfway done already. So, yeah. And then I'll be starting back up on the Shattered Legion once those are finished. Um I dip my toe into Custodes a little bit again, and dip my toe back out, so you won't see Custodes for a while. But uh, yeah, richmond30k.com, uh, Lancaster underscore painting at Instagram and Facebook. Uh, if you want to check out some of the D43 events, uh, by the way, last week I mentioned having our custom characters for D43, and we've seen some really cool ones come up so far. Uh, from characters from the book that are now represented in-game for our D4-3 events, so it's really, really awesome. And I'm loving seeing the creativity that's coming from people. You know, not everybody is making the uh, indestructible character that they want never to die or whatever. They're, you know, staying grounded in their rules-making, and all the rules people are giving them are very close to their fluff. So I just love the work, and keep it up, guys, because we love the narrative here. But uh, yeah, from me and everyone else at the Remembrance Retreat, thank you very much for listening in, and uh, have a good week. Bye. Later, guys. Yeah. See you later. Adios. Bye. Bye.